Well, good morning, church. So good to be here with you guys gathered up as we take some time in the middle of our dailiness and our week to come back together in the regularities of gatherings here and online to remember the gospel, to make sure that what has been dismantled throughout the week through circumstance and relational dynamics and our own stuff, that we're coming back together and through the uh, declaration of worship through song and the learning from God's word and the engaging with the one another, that we are rebuilding what we know to be true so that we can live out of that throughout our week instead of out of our own humanity. And that is a powerful and supernatural and beautiful thing that we are called to as a people of God, to gather together to remember. So it is good to be with all of you. Uh, We are in this little letter that is known as Philemon, named after the person that it is sent to, as is often the case in the letters in the New Testament. And it is a strange little letter, (laughs) just a strange little letter to kind of find in the middle of the New Testament among these big, giant, instructional letters sent to churches and leaders. Uh, So all of the letters that we encounter kind of have that feel to them. And then there's this letter that feels like a cup of coffee with a, a guy to have a hard conversation. And it just seems so odd to me that it is in the New Testament. That, that that's part of scripture. Because I'm like, what, what happened? Did it like slip in next to Ephesians or something? Why is it here? Now, now we know um, that there is certainly beauty in this letter uh, that has gospel clarity. We've already seen that as we've been encountering this letter uh, this last week. And so we know that there is stuff in this letter that by itself makes it appropriate certainly to be in here Uh, we saw the beauty of a transformed uh, heart, I mean, a a transformed life coming out of a repaired heart. And we talked a little bit about that. And and we certainly saw the beauty of some of the gospel themes that exist in this as Paul was writing to Philemon and some of the things that he said and shared. And so we can encounter this letter and kind of go, okay, there's themes in here that make sense as to why it ends up in here. But to be honest, for me, it still seems like a strange letter to belong in the New Testament. So it has stirred a question for me, why would God put it in? What is the purpose he had of having this letter in here? Because again, most of the letters, if not all, that are sent either to individuals like Timothy or to churches like Ephesus or Thessalonica uh, are letters that you can sense the deep instructional nature. And this one felt more private to me, more personal, like, This one, you don't just like show everyone. It's like, hey, Philemon, come over here, sit down. We need to talk. And here it is. So this letter, to grasp why I think it ended up being absolutely perfectly placed in Scripture, we have to really understand the dynamic of what is unfolding in this letter. There are three primary people involved in this letter. There is Paul, who is authoring the letter and sending it to a man named Philemon, and he is sending it on behalf of another man named, man named Onesimus. And to understand the dynamic of this letter, we have to understand a little bit of the story that has unfolded around the letter. And so I'm going to spend just a few minutes kind of telling the story of what we know of Onesimus so we can understand why the letter is going to Philemon in the first place. Everything that I'm going to share right now Uh, is things that we can extract from what is in this letter. Though it is a short letter, it gives us some certain points of information that we can go, oh, that's likely then what happened, and that's what's going on. So what do we know for sure? We know that Onesimus, at one point, lived in Colossae uh, in the household of Philemon. We know that Philemon lives in Colossae because the letters being sent right now are two letters, the letter to the church in Ephesus and the surrounding churches and the letter to the church in Colossae, Ephesians and Colossians, and along with it, this little letter uh, to a man named Philemon. And so we know from that letter that Onesimus lived in Philemon's household and that he was part of the community of Colossae. 
We know also from this letter that his particular position in this household of Philemon was that he was a bond servant or bond slave uh, as we translate that. Now, we understand from cultural context and language what bond servant or bond slave means. There's two possibilities when you're talking about somebody being a bond servant or bond slave to someone. The first possibility is that Philemon actually was in the household, I mean not Philemon, Onesimus was in the household of Philemon as a slave in that completely inappropriate, terrible, sinful way that one human has ownership over another because that was part of the culture of that time. And that at a certain point, he was released from that obligation. And what a slave would then do is if in his household, the master he served under in that terrible way was actually a dear and good master, and this was a dear and good household, he would submit himself as a bond slave or bond servant, now being a choice he makes because in some ways it would then become a little bit more like a contract between employer and employee. Your household takes care of my family because I serve your household. You've released me from that obligation, but I don't want to be released because the world is much more complicated than this household. Can I stay? Can I keep serving? We would then use the language bond servant or bond slave. It was an obligation that was somewhat like we would understand a contract today. It was saying, I'm going to stick to this. You didn't go to your, 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 the family that you served and say, I want to be a bond servant, and then three weeks later change your mind. That's not how it worked. The other option for a bond servant or bond slave was when a person owed a debt to another person that they couldn't repay. So you did something, you got in debt, it's payback time and you can't pay it back, you would become a bond slave to them, a bond servant to them until such a time that that debt was paid back and then you could be released. So as a bond servant, we don't know if Onesimus was at one point a slave in the sinful, terrible sense of that word, owned by another human, and then gave himself as a bond servant or whether he owed Philemon a debt and became a bondservant in relationship to that debt. We just don't know. We just know that he was a bondservant. Why? Because Paul says it in the letter. He is not returning to you now as a bondservant, but as something even more. And we'll get to that in a minute. So those are the two possibilities. Highly unlikely in this context that at least at this current time that Onesimus was a slave to Philemon in the way that we understand the sinful, dark, terrible reality of one human owning another. But he was bound to him nonetheless as a servant. We know that Onesimus at some point left the household of Philemon in a way that broke that contractual or relational reality of I belong to this household to serve. And we know that when he left the household of Philemon, that he hurt and offended that household by taking something with him. Either the debt that he had to repay was not yet repaid, and he left before it was repaid, saying, I don't care anymore that I owe you, I'm leaving. Or that in his leaving, he stole from Philemon's household as provision for his escape. Either way, we know that he took from Philemon something and that he owes Philemon something. How do we know this? Because Paul wrote it in the letter. So everything I'm telling you now, when I'm making it up, it's in the letter. We're going to get to there. So Onesimus, we find out, in his travels, leaving the household of Philemon in this inappropriate and hurtful way, encountered at some point Paul. Now, we don't know whether Onesimus knew Paul beforehand. It is likely he did. Why? Because Paul played a profound role in the uh, journey, spiritual journey of Philemon, coming to know Jesus and being discipled. We know that from the letter. And so we would make the assumption that Onesimus, being part of the household of Philemon, probably knew Paul, uh, had relationship with Paul in some way. What we don't know is whether Onesimus, in leaving Philemon, 
went and sought Paul out in Rome or whether he ended up in Rome and bumped into Paul. So it is quite possible that he's escaping from Colossae, ends up in Rome, walking down the street one day. Paul's walking down the street with two soldiers under house arrest, and he goes, Onesimus? Hey, Paul! Hey, what are you doing here? Where's Philemon? Uh, in Colossae? Huh? How did... And then, you know, well, I kind of, you, you know, left. And their relationship began, or maybe Onesimus came and sought Paul out. I, we don't know. But what we do know is that when Paul encountered Onesimus in Rome, Onesimus did not know Jesus. He had not yet come to a place in his life where he had given his life to Jesus because in the letter, Paul tells us as he's writing to Philemon, when he came to me, he became my spiritual son and I his spiritual father. And that is language to say he didn't know Jesus, then he came to know Jesus and I have poured into him so that he has been discipled in Jesus now. So Onesimus has come to know Jesus and has been discipled by Paul. Which means, in case it's lost on you, that the kinds of things Paul has poured into Onesimus' life is things like the book of Romans, the book of Ephesus, I mean Ephesians, the book of Thessalonians. I mean, these are the things Paul was writing. So if you're around Paul, these are the things you're dialoguing about. So Onesimus has a clarity now as he's discipled by Paul of the wonder of the freedom that exists in Christ. So if you are Onesimus and you are being discipled by Paul and he is unpacking letter after letter, conversation after conversation, the freedom we have in Christ. There is no master and slave anymore. There is no man or woman over one another anymore. There is freedom in Christ. We are equals, brothers bound, sisters bound to each other. Then you would conclude, perhaps I would guess, that you're leaving a household where you were bound would have been justifiable now that you understand the gospel. And so I have no doubt that Onesimus came to conclusions that at this point, the whole idea of being bound to somebody else is an offense. Certainly the conclusion I would have drawn if I were around Paul long enough and saw all of that. So what we know at a certain point is that there must have been a conversation that took place between Paul and Onesimus about Philemon. Because at the point Paul was writing the letter to the church in Ephesus and the letter to the church in Colossae, Paul must have concluded at some point that Onesimus needs to head back to make things right with Philemon. And I would love to have been there at that conversation. I don't know what that conversation was, so what I'm about to do is create a bit of imagination. But my imagination I'm creating is not pulling from thin air and changing scripture, it is looking at this letter that he wrote to Philemon and experiencing, as I did when I read the letter, a letter that perhaps was written right after the conversation with Onesimus, and the letter breaks down what I would suspect if I were in Onesimus' shoes were the, uh, the, the, the counter-arguments, the protests against going back. And so can you imagine sitting down with Onesimus and you are Paul and say, Onesimus, I've been praying and you and I both know how things ended with Philemon in Colossae and I'm sending letters back to Colossae and I think you should go. How does that feel to you? (laughs) Time out. (laughs) Uh, No. Like I get it, but why would I go back there to Philemon, I owe him debt. I am bound to him if I go back there the way I left. There are consequences to that. I don't know how it's going to go down. I don't know what he's going to do. I don't know if he's going to obligate me again. I don't want to go. I'm free now. I'm here now. I'm in Jesus now. Just write him and tell him. Just tell him. And I can imagine Paul even saying to Onesimus as he's struggling with, why would you send me back there to say, I know Philemon. I know Philemon. I know his heart. I, 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 I know his godliness. I, I don't know what he's going to do, but I am confident that he will respond well because he loves Jesus. And now you love Jesus. And that connection, Onesimus, you don't know the power of that. But I know Philemon. 
I mean, you, you literally see it playing out. Listen to this. Where does he start this beautiful letter as he writes um, to Philemon? Listen, Philemon chapter one, because there's only one chapter. So there you go. Uh, verse four. This is the start of the letter. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. See, Paul starts his letter saying to Philemon, I know your heart. I know you love Jesus. I know what you're like. I know your maturity. I know your love for the saints. So as I'm writing this letter to you, I want to start with this. I know where you're at. Just a a quick side note for you guys. Like, I know it's been a rough, like, I don't know, a year and a half, two years, whatever. You know, a rough long time. And I know that we haven't really been sure of how to behave. And I know that we're tired of all the yuck. But I also know your hearts. If you call this place home, I know what we've been through together for years I know how we've learned to love Jesus together. I know how we've learned to engage in loving uh, one another well. And I know it's been difficult. But like Paul, I just want to say, like, I'm confident I know our hearts. And and so I don't know what it's all going to mean for the future, but I do know that we have the Spirit of God in us. We belong to Jesus and we love Him. And for whatever stupidity we have been involved in for a long while now, there is great hope that that which is within us, he who is within us, will lead us out of this dark place, right? And so Paul is saying, Philemon, I know your heart. And I can imagine him saying to Onesimus, I know Philemon. I know you can't imagine going back there, but trust me, I'm confident he will respond in view of the gospel. And then, of course, Onesimus, I'm sure, would have said to Paul, okay, okay, listen, okay, okay. If I'm going to go back, you need to tell him that he can't enslave me again. Like you're Paul, the apostle. I mean, think of the other two letters he wrote, Ephesians and Colossians. Like, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. And what's Paul saying? What I'm about to write, you better listen to. Like, this isn't just coming from anybody. It's coming from, and I can, sh- I, I can guarantee you, Onesimus was like, are oh, you going to write that in, 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 the, in the letter to Philemon? Paul, an apostle of Christ by the will of God, brought by Jesus, full of the Spirit, with authority above all. Oh, no, listen, Philemon, do not, do not treat this man badly. And I can imagine Paul listening to that and saying, I hear you, man. Like, it would make sense. And I certainly could do that. Because the gospel compels, no, no, the gospel demands that Philemon respond well. But I'm not going to do that in this letter. I'm not going to demand with my authority and the authority of the gospel to do that. I'm going to invite. I'm going to appeal. Because if I demand it, certainly Philemon may obey. Certainly Philemon may stand by it, but we will not know if it is out of love or out of obligation. And therefore it will have an end that may or may not go well in the long haul. And so if this is going to work in a way that demonstrates the power of the gospel, the power of the spirit, it is going to have to be an invitation that I make to Philemon for him by the spirit's power to respond instead of by my authority. And so I'm not going to write that. And that's exactly what he says. Look, according, accordingly, though, after he said, Philemon, I know your heart. I know you love Jesus. I know you love the saints. Accordingly, though, I am, although I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. And then he writes, Paul, an old man. And I wonder, I just wonder if even in the conversation with Onesimus, that he didn't say to Onesimus, a young man, I'm sure, youngish compared to Paul for sure. Onesimus, I am an old man. I have been around the block and obligating to people, people to things doesn't work. Obligating people to things by great authority is helpful at times, but temporal in nature. It is to show them the gospel. Show them Jesus and let the Spirit of God move them to love. And then the transformation has longevity. 
So trust me, Onesimus, that I must trust the Spirit of God with Philemon, not my apostolic authority. I wonder if he didn't write that sentence, I am an old man, Philemon, hence appealing and not commanding, because I know better now. And then he says, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. Onesimus, the name actually means useful. It's actually the translation of the name. Onesimus, useful. And it it does make me wonder, though I don't know, whether being given a name like that, he was not in the slave category from very early on in his life, born into a family where he was part of a child of a household of slaves. And I wonder, these are not facts we could possibly know, whether in Philemon's becoming a believer later on, there was a release of that and then a bondservant relationship again, or whether there was dead, I don't know. But what I do know is that his name was given to him as this, you are useful. You're useful. And here Paul plays on the words and says, you thought Onesimus was useful to you before as a bond slave or bond servant in your home, but he was useless because we do those things toward each other out of obligation, not out of love. But now when he returns, if he is to serve you out of love, brother to brother as you serve him out of love, now begins a usefulness that is eternal and not temporal, that is true and not pretend, that is God and not human. And so Paul says, I I send him to you because I know that if this goes well, something bigger, something better, something more supernatural, something more beautiful than you can imagine is about to show up because when we serve each other as brothers and as sisters out of love, then the gospel is present and beautiful in a way that is incredible. So he says, I am sending him back to you sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. I have no doubt that if Onesimus was in a conversation with Paul, this would have been one of the protests because it sure would have been mine. Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. Can you write him and say that I'm serving here now? and that I've become a believer here now, and that you're so proud of what I'm doing here now and need me so badly, like basically this, can I stay? I mean, can I stay? Onesimus, I want you to stay. You've been an amazing helper to me. I mean, Paul, I, I, I'll, I'll get, just write him and say, I found Onesimus. He's become a believer. He's serving me now. And, 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 and Philemon's obligated to you. Uh, he owes you his very life. How do we know? It's in the letter. It'll get there, right? I can imagine Onesimus begging to stay and Paul saying, I want you to. But this is not the way to remedy pain and hurt in the people of God. We don't ignore it. We don't bury it. We don't separate ourselves into two different cities, Rome and, and, and Colossae, and, and just wave from a distance. I still hate you, but hey, we're, we're, you're a Christian. We don't deal with our hard things by ignoring them. We go back and we work through them. We protest. We confess. We forgive. We transform. And that is a hard work and a painful work, but we do not ignore it. And so you're going back to Philemon and he will decide what he will do in that circumstance. I am confident in his godliness, but I cannot know. But if you stay here and I obligate him to leaving you here, then I am not allowing for the hard work that will bring about the reconciliation that the gospel invites and demands us to be part of. So you're going back and I want you to. And I'm going to write in here that my heart belongs to you. And I, I, I'll, I'll give Philemon every reason to know what our journey has been. But if he sends you back to me, it'll be on his account, not on mine. It'll be by his preference, not mine. Because if he sends you back to me, it'll be because he has reconciled with you versus me obligating him to something he didn't even choose. And so he says this. For this perhaps is why He was parted from you for a while that you might have him back forever. 
Such an interesting statement. What Paul is saying here is to Philemon, when he left, he left in a bad way. He offended you when he left. He stole from you either debt he owed or actually stole stuff from you. He owes you. He, he didn't complete his obligation to you. He hurt your family. He hurt you. And you have pain because of it. I, I get it. And so there's nothing about that that was okay. And yet, God used what was not okay to do something profound. Could it be, Paul says, that in his leaving that was intended for his own well-being and his own future, God used that to bring him to me, to bring him to Jesus, so that as he goes back to you now, he comes back to you as a forever brother and not a temporal bondservant. That God would use our stupidity to bring about his beauty is insane and beautiful. And he's like, could it be that that isn't what's going on here? That what we think in our human insanity and stupidity, we are somehow thwarting the plans of God. And God is like, Psh, whatever. It was stupid and it was human. But I will do things in it that you do not deserve because I am a good father. And so right out of that, he says this. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bond servant, but more than a bond servant, as a beloved brother. Especially to me, Paul, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. And I love that he says, even in the flesh and the Lord, that he's saying, I'm not just telling you from a distance, Onesimus is with me. And he's good, and he's a brother now. Ooh, in the Lord. I'm sending him back to you in the flesh. He's going to be right at your front door, and he's going to be sitting right there, and you're going to have to do this, not just in the Lord, meaning from a distance, but work through it in the flesh, in the actual every day. You see, the invitation is always, don't ignore where we have offended and pained and cursed. Come together, work through it but begin somewhere important, and we're about to get there. Take a look at this. So, <clears throat> if you consider me, Paul writes to Philemon, your partner, receive him as you would receive me. I do wonder um, how, that, how the whole thing went down uh, when they arrived in Colossae, because, you know, Tychicus is carrying these letters Ephesians and Colossians and Philemon and Onesimus is with him. Like when Tychicus bumped into Philemon, how did that go down? Like, hey, can we chat for a second? Sure. Hey, so there's someone with me. <clears throat> yeah? Um, Onesimus. What? So Onesimus is with me. W where is he? Um, before we talk about that, Paul asked me to ask you to read this. Is that how it went down? I have no idea. Or did Onesimus walk up to the door? Ding, ding. Well, there wasn't doorbells back then, but <laughs> imagining for a second. And Philemon opens the door, and there he is. There he is. And Onesimus is just holding an envelope, like, so sorry. Read this first. <laughs> I have no idea how it went down, but what I do know is that if somebody showed up at your door who has cursed you and hurt you and wronged you, as Onesimus had Philemon, and let's just be fair, and you had been wronged and cursed and hurt by the person you're showing up that you hurt, because this is two men that hurt each other, two men that offended each other, two men that in their knowing or unknowing did things to each other that both could justifiably hold against each other. You don't show up there and go, give me a hug! And yet Paul is saying, if we are partners, you and me, Philemon, which we are, and when Onesimus shows up, you look at him and you see me. And you treat him like you would treat me. Not because he deserves it, but because I'm asking you to. If I showed up at your door, you would give me a hug. If I showed up at your door, you would make me a bed. If I showed up at the door, you would have your immediate family serving me, not me serving you. And so I ask you to see him and see me. Because we are partners and now we are partners and now you are partners. And then he writes this. If he has wronged you at all, which Paul knew he had, because Paul knew his story, or owes you anything, charge that to my account. 
And look what he says. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. It is a way of Paul saying, nobody wrote this for me. Nobody added this sentence after I left the room. I'm writing this. Why am I saying that? Because you can trust me. If I say you can put it on my account, I mean it. I will be good for what is owed. I wonder if Onesimus didn't say to Paul at the end of the conversation, all right, Paul, I get it. I go back. We reconcile. We got to do the hard work. But I owe him debt. And I do not have it to repay. And I will be right back where I started, obligated to his household for a debt I cannot repay. And I wonder if Paul in the letter, as he was writing, remembered that part of the conversation and said, if I want to see people reconcile, I must be part of facilitating. And he said, look, if there's debt owed, don't burden Onesimus with it. He is burdened enough. Burden me with it. And I will pay it. And then he says, to say nothing of your owing me even your own self. <laughs> so he's like, look, whatever debt he owes you that you need to add to my account. Just one thing, you don't deserve me to take on that debt. Two, whatever debt it is, I'm repaying. You already owe me your entire future because through the ministry that I was called to, you came to know Jesus. So your own self as a Christ follower is part tied to me. So we are already obligated in a different way. What a beautiful way of just saying, just don't forget, Philemon, that there's a bigger thing going on here than just what's owed to you. And then he says this, perhaps one of my favorite verses in this entire book. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. I'm confident of your obedience. And I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. And then he says, and make a bed because I'm going to come visit soon. I love that. What is this verse? I'm going to give you a little glimpse into this side of the story as a pastor, as someone invited by God to co-shepherd with him over a people, not in authority over them, lording over them, but in the privilege of being a shepherd in the field to watch for the enemy where he might be trying to devour and to be a part of the work of discipleship. Us pastors get called into this incredible work, and it is a grand privilege but there is a weightiness to it. And the greatest weightiness comes when after long discipleship journeys, pouring in, preaching, engaging, facilitating, circumstances come that offer us the opportunity to step in, believe the gospel, and behave accordingly. When we do, it is a refreshing to the heart of the shepherd. When we see a people group engage in the journey that is hard in a way that they have been taught as I have been taught. It is refreshing to the soul, just as it is not refreshing to the soul when we behave like buffoons despite the fact that we know Jesus. And for the shepherds, it begins to feel this heavy space. What was the point? What was it all for? If all this time you can pour in and the second something gets complicated, we all forget the gospel. Why bother? It's a hard place. And I hear Paul's heart in this, saying to Philemon, the investment God afforded me to make in you on his behalf. Hey, just, just so you know, this is partly personal. That's what he's saying here. How you respond to Onesimus, and when I hear about it, it's either going to refresh my heart or it's going to kind of break it. And so I'm, I'm kind of asking. It's a vulnerable moment on Paul's part kind of asking, not demanding, just saying, please don't behave badly. <laughs> please don't do this. I mean, I've reassured him, listen, miss, I'm sending him, and, and if you do this badly, I just, yeah. listen, please refresh my heart and just believe the gospel. I just love that Paul was vulnerable in that moment just to kind of say that because I feel that deeply as a pastor. Like I want to say, hey, let's all just, let's all just do this well. The world's crazy, but we ought not to be because we have the Spirit of God, and we belong to Jesus, right? So Paul ends there. And then I love that he says, hey, I'm coming to visit, so make a bed. And uh, hey, Luke says hi. I mean, it's a little thing, but I'm like, Luke? Like Luke? Like Luke? I want Luke to say hi to me. 
like Philemon knew Luke. So we know that Philemon was connected in the leadership spaces and connected to Paul in deep ways and to Luke and to others. And, and, and here he's saying, Philemon, I know how discipled you are. I know how mature you are. You know who you've been around. So what an opportunity that I'm appealing to you to put hands and feet to what you know to be true in the gospel. Why would God add this letter into the New Testament when it's so personal? It's so specific. It's so much a cup of coffee with Philemon after a cup of coffee with Onesimus to bring two men together who have both offended one another in different ways, hurt each other in different ways, cursed each other in different ways, and have in their own minds justification for their positioning. And what does Paul do? Despite all that being true, you belong to one now who is bigger than that, a kingdom that is better than that, and one that has done things for you that make the way for you to do things for one another. See, we have learned through human history that us humans, we are bent toward division. We are bent toward conquering. We are bent toward position. We are bent toward control. All of us. You take, pick a relationship. Child-parent. <laughs> control, 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 control. Husband-wife. I mean, even if God says certain things about our positioning, we just get mad. Why, why, why are they in charge? That's stupid. And then we just spend our time trying to find other ways out of under. I mean, our entire human history is just a story of conquering, isn't it? I mean, go back. Uh, Syria, Persia, Greece, Rome, and, and, and oh, it's changed now, hasn't it? Psh, whatever. Every time we have enough, us humans just want more. I got lots of land, but they got land too, and I'm stronger. I'm taking it. And we do that in our personal relationships. We do that in our nation relationships. We do that in our people group relationships. Anytime we have space to wiggle our way into control and into authority and into power and let somebody else live under it, we have a propensity to do that. And so we hurt each other. We curse each other. We use each other. And we manipulate each other. It is the human way. I am so sorry to tell you that. And then our way maker, our miracle worker, our God and our Savior comes and transforms us to be not human in that way anymore but to be human in the way he made us to be. Reflections and image bearers of his way. And he calls us into a new way with one another. And I think knowing that this is our human propensity in every way, I think when this letter was written by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to Paul, God was writing it to the human race just as Paul was writing it to Philemon. To say you're going to need to come back together in regularity after cursing each other. And you will both feel super justified in your little positions, having researched them from top to bottom and knowing exactly why you are right and everybody else is stupid. And you will stand against each other, justified in your positions, perhaps even rightly so. But if I can take a bondservant who lived under somebody else's hand, and felt justified because of the gospel's call to freedom to leave. And a man who was stolen from or debt owed to and was left in a lurch. And I can take those two and I can call them together and I can appeal and even obligate them to come together under the beauty of the gospel. Then you have no excuse because that's about as far as the human problem gets. Slave and master. And so if I can reconcile them, then I can reconcile you under the power of the Spirit and the belonging to Jesus. This letter is for us perhaps more than it is for Philemon. And I was in the back earlier before the nine o'clock chatting with Carrie Waters about just how overwhelmed I am again that I get to 
preach this. This letter, this story, this beauty, this appeal, this call that Jesus could obligate us to, does obligate us to, but instead comes as gentle as a lamb and says, come, follow me. And I was talking with her about what I just said to you, like, man, this letter is perfectly placed in the New Testament because the human race needs it so badly. And I said to her, it feels almost like God 2,000 years ago was chatting with Paul, inspiring him to write Ephesians and Colossians and said, could you write one more short, quick letter to Philemon? Because I need to write a letter to Winter Garden, to Mosaic Church. And the best way to do it is just to use you to write it to Philemon. It's not actually for Philemon. It's actually for Mosaic. See, I don't put that past God. Now, I know, you're like, well, it's been used for thousands of years. Yes, but is the Word of God not a living, breathing thing that God rewrites and rewrites and rewrites in the same perfect truth to us over and over again, that each letter is not only for what was, but it is for who is. And this letter is for us. And now I want to read something to you. And I want you to pay close attention. Because if this letter is not from Paul to Philemon, but also from God to us, from Jesus to us, may I read now the appeal of Jesus to you and to me as he makes his appeal to our reconciliation. So, my friends at Mosaic, Renault, and all of you, if you consider me your partner, Jesus writing to us, if you consider me your partner, receive one another as you would receive me. Just sit in that for a second. Democrats and Republicans, sit in that for a second. Black, white, Asian, Hispanic, and everything else, sit in that for a second. Men, women, sit in that for a second. Children, parents, sit in that for a second. So if you consider me your partner, receive one another as you would receive me. If someone has wronged you at all, just raise your hand. <laughs> me. Or perhaps it could even say, and if you have wronged anyone, because we have cursed and stood. Listen. Or owes you anything. We owe each other lots. We've hurt each other badly. We owe each other debt. But look what Jesus says. If anyone owes you anything, do not hold that against them and so, in so doing, not reconcile. But listen, charge that to my account because I have paid your debt and I have paid their debt and you do not owe each other because I have taken it all on. So if someone owes you a debt, your power to go to them as brother or sister exists because I have paid yours and theirs. And yes, there is hard work to be done to protest and confess and forgive. Do not ignore that. But you do that after you have seen them as me before you. And after you have taken their debt they owe you and handed it to me who has paid all debt. Thank God his account is big enough to handle human debt from the beginning of our story in the Garden of Eden to the end of time. There will not come a time where what is owed you by another human is too much to give to him because he will take it in his account. I, Jesus, write this with my own hand I will repay what is owed you. What does he say in there? I will be enough for you when humans are not. I will be enough for you. I will repay what you need in spades because I write this with my own hand. Is this word written by the Spirit of God? Yes, it is. So Jesus has the right to say this is written by my hand. To say nothing 
of you owing me even your very own self. You and I owe Jesus everything. We deserve nothing. And we owe him everything. And the way he calls us into right relationship with each other is by paying the debts we owe one another and paying the debts we owe him so that our freedom in Christ is that we can come to each other in our division and our disagreement and our anger and our pain and start here. I bless you because he has blessed me. In this room, we have Republicans and Democrats, men and women from Venus and Mars, <laughs> adults and children, black and white, Hispanic and Asian, and a variety of mixtures from all sorts of other wonderful places. We have differences in opinion and personality. And we stand opposed in all those things. And then Jesus comes, our way maker, our miracle worker. And he says, it's time to come together under my power and my love. We have work to do, church, in forgiving much of one another. We have work to do in confessing much to one another. We have work to do in reversing much of what we have said and much of what we have thought. We don't have to have the same opinions about everything. We won't. But we have work to do. And Philemon, this beautiful letter, could command us. But... For the sake of love, it invites us into this work. So here's what we're going to do. We are going to start today by blessing one another. If you were here two weeks ago, you remember we ended with a song. We're going to do it again today, not to try to recreate a moment. But actually, we started something back then that we're going to keep engaging in. For the next few months, until the end of this year at least, maybe forever, I don't know yet, but it's certainly till the last day of this year, each weekend, each Sunday, we're going to end the service with some version of blessing each other and being blessed by each other. It might be a song, it might be a liturgy, it might be a prayer, but we're going to close every service out actively participating in looking around the room at each other and blessing each other on behalf of what God has blessed us with. You know why? Because if we're going to do the hard work of working through the pain we've caused each other, we've got to start by remembering that he is for us and with us and he blesses us. You will be blessing a Republican or a Democrat in this room. God help you. You will be blessing a personality type that opposes you. God help you. You will be blessing a person that is different from you, that you might not even like if you hung out with him. And that is the beauty and power of Jesus in us. And we will work through our stuff and our differences, but first we will start by blessing. So today, we are going to do it through the song because it is familiar now and it is beautiful. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to pray in a minute for you. And then we're going to stand um, together in this room. And the worship team is going to lead us in this song. But this time we're not going to do it like we did two weeks ago where I start blessing you. And then you bless me. And then we bless each other. That's a freedom I'm going to leave up to you. You need some receiving today. I know it. I do. And you need to give some. You need to dare yourself to say, I'm going to bless people in a room I don't even know whether I like them or not. And so I'm just going to ask you as the song plays that if you're comfortable, uh, you can do it from your heart, but I would ask that it's an active participation in this way. This means receiving. It's just a posture. And, and this means giving. And so would you move back and forth between the two throughout the song as you are, are, are sensing what you need? At parts in the song, just do this and just stop singing and just let people sing out over you and for you on behalf of God. And then at other times, turn your hands forward and sing toward them. And I would even encourage you to actually turn here and there and, and just look over at someone and just be like, yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't know you, don't know you. 
God's favor is upon you. Turn this way, turn that way. And if we begin our journey at the end of each Sunday for the week, blessing one another, what does the enemy have against us then? Because if we bless each other, it is more difficult to curse each other. And I wonder what happens in a few months when we've done this over and over again to the enemy's efforts to tear us apart. Is it not possible that maybe coming together in this way would bring us back together? And then we can work through our differences in a posture that reflects the gospel. So would you stand and let me pray and then we will sing and participate and bless one another on behalf of God because we are indeed a holy priesthood, are we not, if we know Jesus. God, as we come before you now, we so desperately need you to empower us to an impossible task, to watch a bondservant and his master reconcile under impossible circumstances because Paul gave them clarity and facilitated the debt owed. So we come to reconcile with one another, though our pains and hurts are still raw and our differing opinions still real. We come before you to ask to empower us to begin the hard journey back to blessing one another because you have blessed us, gave us clarity, and made a way for us to forgive the debts we have against each other. For you have said, since I have forgiven your debts, forgive the debtors among you. So God, we come now to have you bless us as we facilitate blessing one another on your behalf. We love you. Make us strong. Make us beautiful for your glory and your kingdom in your way. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.